Thank you, Anne, and good morning, Redeemer. It is wonderful to be with you as we spend this time in Judges. I, I'm continually blown away uh, by how this book, from it feels like such a different world, uh, how this book speaks to, to us. It speaks to our life, our faith, uh, our relationship with God. Uh, so as we look today at Samson, one of the most colourful stories, I think, in all of Scripture, uh, let's pray that God would speak to us and change us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are with us. Thank you that you speak to us. Thank you that you make yourself known. As we hear today from you in your word, do you help us to know you better? As we hear of how you have worked in history, would you strengthen our hope in you? Father, give us soft hearts. Give us open eyes and minds. Show us wonderful things in your word. And so give us hope. It's in Jesus' good and great name that we pray. Amen. Well, friends, Samson is one of the most memorable characters in the whole Bible. Uh, his life, what he did in history, is well known. He's easily the best known judge. And that's because he is larger than life, isn't he? He reminds us of an action hero. Uh, Samson has it all. Uh, Samson behaves badly, he beats the bad guys. And long before the Terminator said, I'll be back, uh, Samson had the perfect one-liners uh, as, as he takes down his enemies as well. But as we come to Samson, I hope that we'll see that he doesn't just remind us of action heroes. We, we meet Samson today, yet in Samson, we're going to meet three other people. Samson's going to remind us of three other important figures. And as we, we see Samson pointing us beyond Samson, we're going to see how uh, this story points us uh, to our God. How this, how what happened in history in Samson gives us hope uh, in our living God. Uh, so let's jump straight into this story uh, from chapter 13 where we see that God saves it starts in a way that we're all too familiar with. We've been reading in Judges. 13 verse 1, The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord gave them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. Uh, this sadly doesn't surprise us now. God's people, though God has shown them mercy, God has shown them grace, God has saved them again and again, yet they keep forgetting the Lord, they keep turning from the Lord, and God loves them, and so when they turn from the Lord, well, He hands them over. He won't let them think that things are okay. He hands them over. And we're, we're used to then the Israelites crying out in some way. They cry out to God, uh, whether it's repentance or whether it's just crying out for help. They usually cry out, but this time, there's nothing. They don't ask for salvation. It's like they've given up. 
Yet though God's people have given up, though God's people don't even cry out for salvation, we see that God works to save. Verse 2, we're told, there was a certain man of Zorah, of the tribe of the Danites, whose name was Manoah. His wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Behold, you are barren and have not born children, but you shall conceive and bear a son. God comes to someone who seems completely without hope. In a society where your hope, your heritage was in your family, in your children, he came to a family that had no children, that could not have children. Yet God comes like he comes to a lifeless, hopeless nation um, and he promises a child. We're told this child will be special, he'll be set apart, Uh, he will be a saviour. So even his mother will need to keep some rules right from the beginning. Verse 4, therefore be careful to drink no wine or strong drink and eat nothing unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. God promises that she will have a son, and from the beginning this son is to be set apart. He is to be a Nazarite. Now we don't know lots about Nazarites. Yet we're told in God's Word that a Nazarite was a kind of vow that an Israelite could make. An Israelite could make a vow for a time to become a Nazarite. And when they made this vow, they would set themselves apart completely to the Lord for a time. And if they made this vow, they would keep certain, certain rules. And here, well, this child hasn't chosen to make a vow for a time, we're told that this, this, this son to be born will be a Nazarite from birth. This isn't a voluntary vow that he makes for a time. or He's to be set apart. He is to be holy. He is to live this way even well, before he can make that choice uh, in his mother's womb. And when the woman tells her husband, well, she repeats what the angel has said. Uh, she says, um, The angel said to me, verse 7, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, so then drink no wine or strong drink, eat nothing unclean, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb to the day of his death. Now this woman, she repeats what the angel has said, but did you notice that she added something? Well, the angel had told her that he would be a Nazarite from the womb, But then she says, actually, he'll also be a Nazarite till the day of his death. From Samson's mother realizes that there is something about this child, something about all his life, where he's going to have a special purpose, a special calling from God. The Nazarite vow was usually for a time. He's going to be set apart. He's going to be used by God. And we're told... He will begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. This one to be born, well, he is to be a saviour. 
Uh, the, the father, Manoah, he realizes that this is a special calling. It's going to require his son to live in a special way. He says in verse 8, teach us what we're to do with the child who will be born. Verse 12, now when your words come true, what's to be the child's manner of life? What is his mission? And the angel of the Lord said to Manoah, of all that I said to the woman, let her be careful. She may not eat of anything that comes from the vine, neither let her drink wine or strong drink or eat any unclean thing. All that I've commanded her, let her observe. See this emphasis again and again. God is bringing forth a saviour. This child to be born will be a saviour. This child to be born is to be set apart, holy, because he has a great purpose, a great calling. Manoah um, struggles to kind of realize just who's talking to him, but in the end, verse 21, the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah and his wife. Manoah knew that it was the angel of the Lord, and Manoah said to his wife, we shall surely die, for we've seen God. But his wife said to him, if the Lord had meant to kill us, I think he would have already done it. Uh, he wouldn't have accepted our, our burnt offering. Uh, she speaks sense. And we're told, verse 24, the woman bore a son and called his name Samson. The young man grew and the Lord blessed him. The spirit of the Lord began to stir him. But here we see that God saves even when his people don't ask for it. Our merciful God will he work to save his people. He raised up a saviour, a saviour who was to be set apart, a saviour who was to be holy, a saviour who was to live as God's chosen deliverer, God's chosen saviour. From the beginning, the Spirit came upon him. Felt like time, up was, for Israel, time was up for Israel's enemies. Because when God raises up a saviour, when God clothed that saviour with his spirit, well, God is going to deliver his people. But things don't go quite as we expect. So we see in chapter 14 that God's servant wavers. The beginning, 14 verse 1, Samson is one who's going to defeat the Philistines, who's going to save God's people from the Philistines. Samson goes down to a town of the Philistines, to Timnah. And at Timnah, he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines, and then he came up to told his, tell his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. Now that must be a typo, right? This was to be Israel's saviour. This was to be one set apart as holy to the Lord. This one, he was to save God's people from the Philistines, but now he wants to marry a Philistine. His father and mother say, isn't there someone from Israel you could marry? But Samson says to his father, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. We're told his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord. He was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. So Samson's not going to live out this calling from God like we might expect. God's, Samson's going to do what is right in his own eyes. Yet even then, God is determined to save his people and he will do it. 
Verse 5, we're told Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah. They came to the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. And then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. And although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he didn't tell his father or his mother what he'd done. Then he went down and talked with the woman. And she was right in Samson's eyes. Again, we see a man who is empowered by God's Spirit, yet he doesn't seem led by the Spirit. He's led by his own eyes. God is working power through him, yet uh, he's not seeking the Lord's, uh, the Lord's purposes. Verse 8, after some days he returned to take her and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey and he scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went and he came to his father and mother and gave some to them and they ate but he did not tell them that he'd scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. So remember, Samson was to be holy. He was to avoid things that were unclean. A dead body, a dead lion was definitely unclean. So Samson, though he's been strengthened with God's Spirit, he's not walking according to the Spirit. He's doing what's right in his eyes, and even though he's becoming ritually unclean, he's not living as he ought, as a Nazarite, as a holy man of God. He's not living as he ought. He's doing what's right in his own eyes. He's feeding his own appetites. Uh, we're told then he goes down and prepares a feast uh, ready for this wedding. Uh, at this wedding, he kind of poses a riddle to some of the, the other Philistines. He says, out of the eater came something to eat. Out of the strong came something sweet. Uh, he loves a riddle. He loves a joke. Uh, we see there that the Philistines, they can't figure it out. Uh, eventually, they say to his wife, entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Uh, eventually, his wife kind of nags him, nags him. Eventually, he gives it away. He gives up the game. He says, what's sweeter than, they say, what's sweeter than honey? What's stronger than a lion? Um, and he says to them, well, you tricked me. Uh, he says, in the ESV it says, if you'd not ploughed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Now, the original Hebrew there is actually a rhyme. So something fitting would be like, if you had not ploughed my cow, you would not know my riddle now. Uh, he's there, he's got these, these one-liners saying, you've cheated me. Uh, he was playing this fun game, he's been wronged. But now, verse 19... We're told the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. He went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town, took their spoil and gave the garments to those who told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. Here we see Samson is beginning to defeat the Philistines, yet not out of a zeal for the Lord, but out of his own hot anger, out of his own jokes gone wrong. 
Verse 15, we're told after some days at the time of the wheat harvest, uh, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat and he said, well, I'll go into my wife in the chamber. Again, Samson just led by his lusts, his desires. Um, eventually, they realise she's, she's been given to his, his best friend. So, verse 4, Samson went and caught 300 foxes and took torches. And he turned them tail to tail and put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he'd set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked grain and the standing grain as well as the olive orchards. Samson, in this strange almost trick, he destroys the Philistines' livelihood, their crops. Again, this just escalates this... Uh, <clears throat> this revenge game where the Philistines then come and burn his wife and her father with fire. And Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I'll be avenged on you and after that I will quit. Samson has a calling from God, a calling to deliver God's people. Yet he's more interested in his games, his desires, and here he says, well, yeah, maybe I will avenge, maybe I will fight the Philistines until I get revenge and then I'm done, then I quit. Uh, throughout this, we, we, we see that uh, Samson had been given a job, Samson had been given a calling, uh, yet he despised this calling and was using this strength, using his life for his own lusts, his own interests. Uh, this keeps going. We meet the, the people of Judah in, in verse 9. And the people of Judah, if you remember Judges chapter 1, Judah were the leaders. Judah the, were the ones who started. Who will go up to fight with us? Judah were the ones who led. Yet, look at Judah now. They say, do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this you've done to us? They've, even Judah have given up. They just said, well, don't you know the Israelites? They, don't you know the Philistines are in charge now? Samson, just quiet down. Like, let the Philistines just do their thing. Eventually they say, okay, well, we'll hand you over. We'll, we'll hand Samson over to the Philistines. And though they hand Samson bound over, in verse 14, we're told that, well, the Philistines came shouting to meet him, and again, the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him. The ropes that were on his arms became as flax that had caught fire. His bonds melted off his hands. He found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, put, his, put out his hand and took it, and with it he struck a thousand men. Again, Samson has a one-liner with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps with the jawbone of a donkey. If I struck down a thousand men... And after he was finished speaking, he threw away the jawbone out of his hand. And again, this man who was meant to be holy, set apart, he's gone to an unclean animal, a donkey, and used the, the, the fresh jawbone of a dead animal, again unclean. Yet God has used this, this man uh, to bring salvation, to begin to defeat the Philistines. 
Samson, always led by his thirst, by his passions. Verse 18, he, he gets thirsty uh, and he complains to God. Verse 18, he was very thirsty. He called upon the Lord and said, you've granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. Shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place and water came out and he drank. Again, Samson, led by his thirst, led to complain. Verse 16, he even sees a prostitute and then goes to her. Uh, while they think this is their opportunity to get Samson, Samson lay till midnight. At midnight he arose, took hold of the doors and the gate of the city and the two posts. He pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill. Samson had great strength. Samson was given a great calling by God. Yet he was a man of his passions, a hunger for women, a hunger for revenge, a thirst that led him to complain to God. It's in the last bit of his life that we start to see a bit more of his heart. Uh, we've seen two woman, women who are right in his own eyes so far, but in 16 verse 4 we're told after this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was Delilah. Will it be different this time? He didn't just see with his eyes and desire. We're told he loved. And he goes to this woman, Delilah, um, and we're told the lords of the Philistines came to her and said, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him so that we may bind him to humble him. And we'll each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. Now, that's a lot of money. So Delilah says to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one could subdue you. Now, what do you think Samson is thinking at this point? We're told he loves her, but when she asks for what's the secret, how could you be subdued? Why would Samson give away his secret? Why would Samson give away the secret to his power? We know Samson likes a game, but I think there's a hint here in the text. There's a hint that maybe Samson wants to be rid of his strength, that Samson actually doesn't want to be God's saviour anymore. Verse 7, Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and like any other man. And again, she tries doing that, and then he breaks out. It seem, would seem foolish to do it again, but he does it again. Verse 11, if they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. And again, he wakes up and she's done just that. Samson learning? Is this woman trustworthy with his secrets? Uh, he says in verse 13, If you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and like any other man. She continues to beg him. says, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? You've mocked me these times. Tell me where your strength lies. We're told he was vexed. 
And eventually in verse 17, he says, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak like any other man. And it's not surprising that in verse 18, when Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, uh, saying, come up again, for he's told me all his heart. And then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, for, and his strength left him. Now, Samson loved riddles. Samson loved to tease, yet... It seems like there's more going on here. Again and again, Samson had talked about like being like any other man. You make me you could make me like any other man, make me like any other man. Though it's clear what she is doing. He keeps saying, This is how I could be like any other man. And this points us to someone who maybe wanted to be like other men. Samson, Samson had been given a great purpose. Samson had been given a great calling. Samson was to be set apart. Yet Samson didn't want to be set apart. Samson was to defeat the Philistines, yet Samson wanted to pretty much be a Philistine. In Samson, in Samson's story, we meet someone who was given a great calling by God, yet despised that calling. And in this way, I wonder if you've noticed who Samson reflects. In this way, Samson is a picture of the nation of Israel. Samson's birth was promised beforehand, as the nation of Israel was promised beforehand, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. Samson was set apart to be holy from birth, like Israel was called to be a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Samson was to begin the salvation of God's people, as Israel was to work to bless all the nations. Samson was given specific laws to keep, which would mark him out from others, as Israel were given the law, how they could live as God's holy people. Samson complained of thirst and God gave him water from a rock in the desert, just like Israel. Samson was led by his passions, doing what his eyes desired rather than by God's word. Just like Israel had gone over after the gods of the nations. Uh, throughout the Old Testament, we're told that Israel whored after other gods. Israel was unfaithful. Samson despised his calling, threw it away, wanting to be like other men. Just like Israel had been called as God's own people, yet did everything they could to be like the other nations. You see how Samson reflects the nation of Israel. So it shows us someone who despised their calling. Yet even as he despised his calling, uh, even though he fell short of the great calling he'd received, 
God was determined to save his people, so he would. And God would save even through suffering. And we see that in the end of Samson's story from 16 verse 20. We'd already begun to see maybe some change in Samson after he'd previously sort of gone after women who seemed right in his eyes. Now we're told maybe he loved someone. Um, And I don't think that means he was perfect or his motives were perfect, but maybe there was a change in him. There was something innocent, something naive about him. But as we see... Samson betrayed by this woman that he loves. We see someone betrayed by those closest to him and handed over to the Gentiles. 16 verse 5, Delilah had been paid uh, all this silver to betray Samson and hand him over. In, In verse 20, she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free but he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. Samson seemed surprised that his strength had left him. I think he wanted to keep his strength. He liked his strength. It made for good games. It made for good party tricks. Yet he despised being God's chosen saviour. Yet even then, we're told, verse 22, though he's lost his strength, though his eyes have been gouged out, though he's now powerless, verse 22, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. That's a little hint that tells us that even though Samson had run from his calling, even though Samson had tried to deny being God's saviour, well, as surely as hair grows back after it's been cut, God's going to use Samson to save his people, whether he wants it or not. Here we see Samson mocked and scorned. 16 verse 23, Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to rejoice. And they said, Our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars, and Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. The lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Though Samson had mocked God, those Samson had denied his calling. This is terrible. The one raised up by God to save his people from the Philistines, now mocked, now scorned. Now the Philistines pointing at him to say, hey, there's proof that our God, Dagon, is more powerful. But even through this suffering, even through this rejection, well, God is going to bring salvation. 16 verse 28, Samson called to the Lord and said, 
O Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. Samson's still Samson. He asked for vengeance on his eyes. Yet there is a cry here, a cry of dependence, a cry to the one in whose in hand power does lie. Samson cries to his God. And God heareth that cry. Verse 29, Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested. He leaned his weight against them, his right hand on one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And then he bowed with all his strength and the house fell upon the lords, upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Samson had rejected God's calling, yet he could not stop God's purpose. God did begin to deliver Israel from the Philistine through Samson. And he did it not primarily through the mighty works of his life, but through his humiliating death. I hope you see there how Samson points us not just to Israel, but to well, the greater Samson, to Jesus. As Samson was to begin the deliverance of God's people from the Philistines, and even that deliverance from the Philistines wouldn't be complete then. It would only be King David who would finally defeat the Philistines. Well, this beginning salvation was pointing to a greater salvation that would only be completed in Jesus. In Jesus, we have one whose birth was announced beforehand by an angel. Jesus, we're told, before his birth would save his people, but not just from the Philistines, but from their very sins. God would save not just the people of Israel, but God, Israel would sa- uh, Jesus would save the nations. Like Samson's mother realized that Samson's life work as saviour would lead right up to his death. Mary, Jesus' mother, was told that actually there would be pain for her own soul because his calling, his salvation would lead to his death. Jesus would live up to his calling as saviour even when it was hard, even when Satan tempted him to do things his own way. Even when Jesus' closest friends said to him, you are the Christ, but you don't have to suffer and die. Well, Jesus remained true to his calling. Jesus didn't complain, but prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was handed over, betrayed by those he loved handed over to the Gentiles. Jesus was mocked and scorned. People thought that Jesus' suffering meant that God had abandoned him or that he couldn't save himself. In his last moment, rather than asking for vengeance, Jesus prayed, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And while Jesus showed God's power throughout all his life and ministry and miracles, We know Jesus' greatest victory 
would not come in any of those miracles in his life, but his greatest victory would come in his death. And then resurrection. God used that to save many. In Jesus, we have the willing Savior that we don't have in Samson. In Jesus, we have a suffering Savior. In Jesus, we have the one God raised up to save us, even when we didn't ask for it, when we were still dead in our sins. Samson pointed back to Israel. Samson pointed forward to Jesus. Yet there's one more person we should see reflected in Samson's life, and that's us. As we, God's people, we who are Christians, as we live out our calling. Do you see that we are like Samson as well? God promised beforehand. God has been promising for thousands of years that he would have a people, that he would bless all the nations, that Abraham would have a family greater than the stars in the sky. God has been building a people. And if we trust in Jesus, we are a part of that people. In, chapter, in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're told that Jesus is God's chosen one. Jesus is the one rejected by man, yet chosen by God and precious in his sight. But then in 1 Peter 2, we're told that all who come to Jesus are then built into Jesus. And we're told in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. You see, Samson was given a holy calling, yet all of us who trust in the Lord Jesus, we are called to be God's holy chosen people. We are called to be his holy nation, a people for his own possession. If you have trusted Jesus, then you are his, part of his people. You have been set apart. And together we have been given a holy calling. We're told we're a people of his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Brothers and sisters, if you trust Jesus, then you have been called to be a part of his holy people. We have been set apart for a purpose. So let's not despise this calling. Do you get tired? Tired, sometimes feeling different. Kids going to school, do you sometimes get tired? If you feel like you don't fit in, you don't watch the movies that the other kids watch because your family are Christians. You don't do the things that the other kids do because your family are Christians. Friends, do you sometimes get, get weary? Feeling happy to get up early on Sunday when the others all sleep in and then go to brunch. 
Do you get weary when you've volunteered to serve and when serving goes on and it, at first it's exciting but then it can get hard? Or Do you get tired? Well, friends, let's not despise our calling. We're reminded that we're to abstain from the passions of the flesh. If we are God's chosen people, well, then He's given us a purpose. He wants us to declare His praises with our words and with our lives. So if we have been called God's holy people, if we are His saved, loved, chosen possession, let's live as those who are His. Let's not be led by our eyes. Yet if we've been given, by the, given the Spirit, if we've been clothed with the Spirit, let's be led by the Spirit. Friends, if you trust Jesus, remember your identity. You are His. You are chosen. The Redeemer, we often say that you are in Dubai for a reason. God has not brought you here just to make money or God has not brought you here to enjoy a lifestyle or God has not brought you here so that you can get to another better place. If you're here, God has brought you that you may know him and love him more. God has brought you here that you may make disciples of all nations. And we say that because of our identity. We say that not because Redeemer is anything special or Dubai is anything special, but because all who trust in Jesus are called to be his people, his holy, chosen, set-apart people. So, friends, if you have this great calling, remember it. By His strength, by the Spirit that has clothed you, walk in step with the Spirit. Let's be comfortable with being different to the world. Let's be comfortable with actually not fitting in. Because God has called us to be in the world, but not of the world. I once heard of a parent who every time they dropped off their children at school, stopped them as they got out of the car and said, remember whose you are. And friends, if you trust in Jesus, that's, that's a good thing. As you go from this place, go back into your work, as, as you go back, as you maybe travel for, for the holidays, remember whose you are. And when you're tempted to look at that thing on the internet, and when you're tempted to tell that little lie, get remember whose you are. You are God's chosen, loved, precious possession. You've been given the amazing privilege of being His people, declaring His praises. So friends, let's remember whose we are. Heavenly Father, thank you that you save. Even when we were dead in our transgressions and sins, you worked to save us. Thank you that as we see the, the life of Samson, we see one of disobedience yet of your purposes overcoming. Father, thank you for Jesus, the better Samson, the true Samson, the one who willingly suffered and saved. Help us to trust him and not ourselves. 
So fill our eyes, our hearts with the huge privilege it is, the huge joy it is to be your people. Let us, to live, let us live lives worthy of the calling we have received. Father, we can only do this with your help. So thank you that you have clothed us by your spirit. Father, we pray it in Jesus' great and good name. Amen.